Let's do it. plugged in. <laughs> 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 you had to listen to a little bump music there for a while, man. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Hey, you want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening to the Automotive Hour this morning? Why don't you give us a call? It's my name is Lewis Aldazan. Got my co-pilot Brian Terry right here by my side. We'll answer any questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? Go ahead. You <laughs> can <laughs> 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 say something. <laughs> you know, people don't either think of something while the show's on mm-hmm. or it occurs to them later on during the week. They can always visit our website and get their questions answered there. Mm-hmm. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Altazan's Garage Company. There's a contact box. You can send Lewis an email anytime of the day or night, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. Just make sure if you don't get one back in 24 hours that you did put the correct address. And maybe resend it with the correct right. return address. Just last week, I had fellowhood sent urgent email if he wanted to know about a fuel filter on a Chevy pickup. And, of course, I answered it right away and sent it to him. Well, wham, it pops right back to me. And I looked at what he had typed as far as email. It looked like a legitimate email address. So I tried resending it again, but it just popped right back right. again. So apparently all it takes is All it takes is one character one or character one pair. Out of place. Right, be and out of place, and that's it. Also, you've got to watch. Sometimes if you send an email from work, and it's a work right. thing, some of those sites have – restrictions on them where they won't allow certain things to come back and they'll see it as spam or whatever and exactly they'll kick bounce it, out. it back i notice a lot of times we'll get something like from exxon mobil or maybe energy or something like that right and it'll be such and such at say energy.com and wham it comes back to me and it's because their site has some type of protection on it that keeps return email from coming in unless it's recognized exactly and so if you don't get one the point is just go ahead and send it again because I don't ever ignore email. Right. You're going to get an answer from me. You may not like the answer, but you're going to get an answer from me. So if you hadn't got an answer within 24 hours, go ahead and just send it again. I'll be sure you do get one. Right. Of course, while you're on that site, there's tons of other things you can do. Oh, there's lots Uh, of great things on there. One of the most valuable features, in my opinion, is the detailed topic section. In fact, I put one on there this morning that is of particular interest to anyone who owns a Chevrolet SUV or pickup. Now, that includes the Tahoe, the Suburban. We're talking about the new mo- the modern 4.8, right. from, uh, from 5.3. 2001 to 2006, you have a 4.8 or a 5.3. 5.3, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, it's a Silverado or a Tahoe or a Suburban or a Rainier or a Avalanche. Avalanche. Or, right. Any of those rear-wheel drive SUVs that have those engines in them, there's a severe problem with the head castings on those engines where they crack and it generally takes between eighty and 100,000 miles for this to occur. Mm-hmm. And it's not a big crack that you're going to see. It's a tiny crack inside the valve cover area. And what you do is you start losing coolant. And with no obvious place for it to be going. Right. And it's not a huge amount of coolant. You start, your reservoir will go down just a little bit every month. And you maybe you top it off and you don't think too much about it. But you can't seem to find the leak and it keeps happening. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, what is occurring is the coolant is leaking into the oil. That's right. Which will tear the engine to pieces. It gets it, There's a crack right around one of the bolt heads. Right. Well, it's in the center row of head bolt. There's some little areas in there that crack. Now, we've got an article on that on the site. With pictures? With pictures. It lists the vehicles that are affected. It shows the casting mark of the heads that are affected. And it shows exactly what happens along with a crack one that we just repaired. We're seeing this a lot. Yeah, this so, is what the 
fourth, fifth one in the fourth, last one a couple, couple months. months. Yeah, so yeah. this is going to be a big, 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 big problem. And it's, it's mostly on the ones that are already out of warranty. Well, yeah, because it generally happens. It takes a while. 80 to 100,000 miles, and even the 100,000-mile GM warranty normally only covers internally lubricated parts, so this is excluded. What's ironic to me is they they sent out a bulletin saying, hey, we've got some defective castings here. Here's a new head to fix it. Have a nice day. Right. <laughs> $800 a head. Yeah, just for the part. Parts. And so it's a big, big repair. If you catch it early, it's a big repair. And if you don't catch it early, you can put a new engine in the vehicle. We've had to put one in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it'll sludge it up. And what happens when ethylene glycol, which is coolant, enters the oil is it breaks down the oil's ability to lubricate. That's right. So you start to destroy the crankshaft rods and all that stuff. And you can do a huge amount of damage. So article you might want to avail yourself of that's just one of them that's in there of course mm-hmm. there's another one there the dirty dozen which is the 12 most complained about cars on the road today you might want to look at that before you make a decision about buying a car <laughs> <laughs> some of them might surprise you some of them are no surprise at all you that's know? right lots and lots and lots of good things on there it's www.agcoauto.com agcoauto.com let's see who's been holding here we've got colin's been holding for a long time good morning colin hey how you doing this morning doing great Appreciate- sir Appreciate the show. Appreciate Thanks, taking the call. Thank Does you. that also include an 3 S10 four-cylinder? No, no, sir. No, sir. This is strictly the V8 engines. Oh, strictly the V8. Yes, sir. The 4.8 right. and the 5.3. In fact, the 6-liter, which is basically the same engine, is excluded because it uses a different cylinder head. Yes, sir. Thank you. A couple questions. Uh-huh. On that old 3 four-cylinder, I can keep the engine light off on the thing. Okay. And done everything I know to do, and it might go off for a little bit, and then it comes back home. What do you suggest? Well, you just got to go in, get to somebody who knows what to do. And, Colin, the, there's roughly 2,000 things that can turn that light on. Right. So we see this a lot where a person will have an older vehicle, and what they will say is, man, I fixed this, but then it came back again six months later. Well, no, it's a different problem. See, it's only one light, but there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of problems. I understand. So you you might go in and let's just say you've got an oxygen sensor bad. Well, you replace the oxygen sensor and light goes out and everything's great, but three months later, wham, it comes on again. Well, this time you may have a bad gas cap. Right. Well, you change the gas cap and light goes out and everything's fine and you go along. Well, now it comes on again. Well, this time the catalytic converter's bad. I mean, there's just so many things that it's monitoring that right. if you bring it to a shop and the problem keeps occurring, what you should always get anytime you go to a shop is an invoice with the codes that were addressed. Now, what that does, you can look back at your records, and if you keep having the same code pop up, well, they're not fixing the car right. Right. See, it's a recurring problem, and they're probably not getting to the source of it. And that's very common because what folks tend to do is address the literal meaning of the code rather than what it could mean. Now, if you got different codes popping up each time, well, it just be one of those things. But that's one of those two situations going on. And if you get it to the right guy, he will fix it, and you're not going to have that problem again. I can't say you won't have another problem, but you will not have that problem again. That code should not come back again. Okay, one other quick question. Sure. Uh, 2000 Dodge Diesel, I believe it's a 5.9. Yes, it is. I'll just change oil, and I've been changed every 5,000. How do you drive it? Don't drive it much. It's got 82,000. Well, Colin, if, if you're sitting up a lot and you're taking a lot of short trips in it, you need to be changing a lot more frequently than that. Okay. If your average trip is 50 or 60 miles, for instance, let's say mm. you live in Baton Rouge and you work in Geismar, and you run in... Pull a camper, pull a camper with his Yeah, but see, it sits a lot. Right. It, it sits a lot in between, and that is the absolute worst thing you can do. Now, pulling that camper ain't going to hurt that diesel one bit. It's designed no. for that. It's a long trip usually when you go. That's great. That's ideal service. It's the sitting in between. 
I would be changing that oil no less than three times a year. Okay, yeah, it's been uh, July last time I changed it. Yeah. It's got 5,000. See, what happens is you'll get a lot of buildup from moisture and stuff because every time you start it, it starts to warm up. You cut it off, it cools down, that moisture gets in the oil, the oil absorbs it, and that's fine. But that keeps happening over and again. You're not getting it hot enough to boil all that out because you're not driving it enough. And that, that moisture is going to start farming acids and sludge. And you're not ever going to save enough money on all changes to pay for one rear main seal change or one valve cover change or, or any other kind of problem. That's right. So I'd, I'd be changing it probably a little bit sooner than that. Okay. Well, I appreciate it very all right, much. All right, Colin. I really enjoy y'all's show. Well, thank, thank you, sir. Appreciate you calling. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we got Greg online. Good morning, Greg. Hi, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Got a 2002 Dodge Ram 1500 quad cab. Okay. V8, but it's the smaller V8. I don't, I don't know the number. Having the same check engine light problem. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to get an inspection. Mm-hmm. And under the emissions, it says that there is a gross leak. Okay. That's an evaporative emissions right. code. Yeah. What that is, Greg, there's probably about 200 things that can cause that code. Okay. I, I did put it in the shop. Mm-hmm. They checked the whole system mm-hmm. out and said they found one small crack in a vacuum line, mm-hmm. replace that. Mm-hmm. But they also said that they didn't have the ability to check the leak detection pump module. Well, it's not very hard to check, man. You probably need to find another shop. Okay. Leak detection pumps do go out an awful lot on those vehicles. That's probably one of the number one things we change. It's a pretty problematic part. It's not terribly expensive. But they, we do change those quite a bit. But then again, I wouldn't just change the LDP because there's lots of other things that can cause it as well. We change a lot of vacuum lines on them. Something as simple as a bad gas cap can cause that. The, the gas cap's fairly new from the dealer. Mm-hmm. The gas tank itself has several seals and lines on it, any one of which can leak. The way we go about that, first off, we've got the Chrysler scan tools. There's two of them. And you hook those on, and that's going to be able to tech the leak detection pump, you can actually cycle it. You can run it through its series and see if it's working or not. But beyond that, if all that's working, the next thing is to hook a smoke machine to it, which is a device that uses nitrogen gas to produce smoke. Yeah. You can fill all the lines and the tank and everything with smoke. Now, it's pretty simple to see where the smoke's coming out, so you can find leaks real easy. Even a tiny, tiny leak, you can find them. So it's not something that can't be found relatively easy. It's just, it sounds like you're probably in the wrong shop. All right. That's, uh, I was just thinking process of elimination is down to this pump module. And if Greg, I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. You a rich man? No. Okay. Then don't use that approach. Okay. Because you will run out of money before you run out of guesses. Oh, yeah. I understand <laughs> that. But like I'm saying, after having it checked, that, yeah. that would... Well, like, well, like Lewis was telling you. You, you sounds like you're in the wrong place. Yeah. Leak detection pump's to. about 100 bucks. You're going to put that on there and light's still on. Now what? Yeah. What do you change next? And yeah. do you know if that fixed it or not? Maybe... You so you knocked something else off when you did that. That's you know, right. It's, That's right. It's hard to go in, into something blindly. Way, working way, on way it. cheaper is to bring it to somebody who knows what to do and have them check the vehicle, tell you what's wrong with it. And Even if you, if you want to change it yourself. Yeah, if you want to fix it yourself, that's fine. But yeah. bring it to somebody who knows what to do and let them check it and tell you what's wrong with it. All right. Well, All right. Appreciate your help. Okay, Greg. Bye bye. You want to be part of the automotive hour? We'd love to have you. We have got Alan online. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Good morning, yes, sir. Uh, I got an 07 GMC Sierra. Uh huh. And I believe my transmission went out on me. Okay. Pretty common on them. All right. I was just driving. When I came to a stop, mm-hmm. it felt like I got hit in the rear end. Okay. When it went out. Okay. Now what's it do? Won't pull and drive or third. I have to put it in second. Okay. If it won't pull and drive a third, the direct 
either the direct drive sprag or the direct drive clutches have probably gone out in it. That's common, fairly common mm-hmm. failure in it. How many miles you got on Allen? It's uh, 78,000. Okay, fairly low mileage. We may be able to repair that rather than totally rebuilding it. It just depends on what it looks like when you get the pan off. If you drop the pan and it is completely full of metal and it's gone out throughout the system, you're pretty much into a rebuild. If the okay. pan is relatively clean, you can go in and replace just the sprag or just the clutch assembly and then just put it all back together, which is considerably less expensive. Now, if you go on my website, there's an article on there called Transmissions Repair, Rebuild, and Replace, and that'll give you a lot more information on the differences between the three options. Okay, so this would definitely be uh, mechanical? Definitely mechanical inside transmission, yes, sir. Okay. All right, that's what I was afraid of. Yep. (laughs) And and don't try to drive it because you will definitely turn a possibly repairable unit into a replacement unit. Okay. All righty. I appreciate it. Okay, Alan, thank you, man. All right, thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back on more. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. It winds. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn, so all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah. I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? And we got Cody online. Good morning, Cody. Good morning. Hopefully y'all having a better morning than me. Oh, great morning. I've got a 2000 F-150. Okay. I sent an email in in regards to a rough idle. Okay. I know on Ford vehicles, especially this one, that the EGR or the emission system has three parts. My check engine light keeps coming on, indicating something with the EGR. Okay. Well, that's where you need to start. I'm wondering if I forget what it's called. It's the little square box. DPFE sensor. Pardon me? DPFE sensor. Could that cause the rough idle? Yes, sir. Okay. And one last question. My overdrive light for the transmission keeps blowing fuses. Okay. That's going to be a short somewhere in that circuit. That overdrive light acts as a check engine light for the transmission. So it could be a fault in the transmission itself. Or they are pretty bad about the wires breaking in the handle. There's a little switch on the end of that handle, and the little switch can go bad. We change those quite a bit. The little uh, wires inside kind of rub inside the handle. And I think you can change just the switch separately. Okay. Well, with the truck with 240,000 miles, would that be worth messing with? 
that's up to you. I mean, buy a new truck or, or fix it. You know, it's just your call. If you don't like the truck and you're tired of it, it's a good time to bail. You like the truck, it's going to be a whole lot cheaper than buying anything else. And whereabouts are y'all located? Well, so just I go can... to our website, hit location, and it'll draw you a map from anywhere in the world. Okie doke. All right, sir. Well, I appreciate y'all's time, and y'all have a good day. Okay, Thank Cody. you. Thank you, man. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. Hey, we got Harith online. Good morning, Harith. Yeah, good morning to y'all. Yes, sir. Good morning. I have a 1998 GMC Sierra. Yes, sir. And it burns through. It uses up a set of front brake pads about every 12 months. Okay. Is that normal? Well, it just depends, Harith. If you're driving 100,000 miles every 12 months, all in town, it could be. But there's lots and lots and lots of factors. 15,000 miles a year. Yeah, if burning through brake pads every 12,000 miles, it just depends. If you are real wild on brakes, you could do that. But no, it's not normal. If the rear brakes are not working, that could also contribute to it considerably. Or if you've got a master cylinder that's keeping the brakes applied, or if you've got an ABS unit that's keeping the brakes applied, or if you've got stuck calipers or bad hoses. I mean, there's okay, 10,000 things we could talk about. When you mentioned the stuck calipers, mm-hmm. like I noticed that on the passenger side, uh-huh. the pads are always worn down more on that side than the driver's side. That's a really important detail, you see. In other words, if you, if you omit details, you ain't going to get the right answer. If you got one okay. side that's wearing out a lot faster than the other side, most likely one of two things, either the caliper is stuck on that side, which is keeping the brakes applied, or you got a problem on the other side, which is causing them not to apply and the one wheel's doing all the stopping. So okay. you just have to get someone who knows what to do and let them diagnose why it's wearing that one side out. It's going to be all a right. hydraulic imbalance in the system. You know, Something is applying one brake more than the other, or that one brake may be staying on all the time. Either one will cause that one side to wear out a lot faster than the other side, and the two completely different problems. I see. And what does it mean, like, like say, when you put the truck in neutral or park, the idle seems to be a tad rough or more rough than it is when it's in drive? Like, is that a problem, or is that just because it's an old car? Well, most likely it's just because it's an old car, but, again, without seeing it, it'd be impossible to say. When you're talking about rough, I mean, how rough, how rough relative to the way it used to be, all okay. that sort of thing. You know, when you put it in neutral, it's going to speed up some. So, you know, some things are going to change. Most of the time, they're rougher when they're in drive than when they're in neutral. Okay. And this is the opposite of that, you say? It's worse when it's in neutral? Yeah, I mean, when it's in drive, it's a normal engine vibration. Uh-huh, when uh-huh. I put it in neutral, uh-huh. it, you know, it, it does idle up a bit. Yeah. But it seems like the vehicle shakes a little more. Huh. Yeah, that's kind of unusual. It's generally the other way around. Chances are it's probably not critical, but again, it depends on how how rough it is relative to how it's always been before. You know, a little bit of extra roughness on an older vehicle is kind of sort of normal because the motor mounts wear down and you feel a lot more and just more prone to that sort of thing. If it's severely rough, well, that would be an issue. You just have to kind of... Take it you have in, to see it. Well, take it in context of how, how much different it is from how it's always been. Chances okay. are it's not a big deal. All right, then. Thank uh, you. All right, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Kathy on the line. Good morning, Kathy. Uh, good morning, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, ma'am. That's good. I've got a question for you. Uh, on a 2004 Jeep Liberty that we have, uh-huh. we're trying to change the radiator fluid. Okay. And I think you're supposed to turn the plug like 90 degrees and then... We're assuming the plug is supposed to come out, but it's right. not coming out, and it's not, and Kathy, it only, like, trickles out. Yeah. If you can get that plug to go back in and stop leaking, 
you probably would be best off just to leave it alone and just take the lower radiator hose off to drain it. Those little plugs do not work very well. They're made out of plastic, and about 50% of the time when you take them out, they never go back in. You end up having to buy a new radiator. <laughs> just what about to... buying a new plug? Well, it generally doesn't fix it. No. It generally breaks the neck of the radiator where it goes in. It's a little quarter-turn thing that pops out with an O-ring on it. In my opinion, it's a stupid bonehead design, but we try to avoid taking those out just because very, very often once you take them out and put them back in, you can't ever stop them from leaking again. Yeah. So okay. if you can get it to go back in and if it doesn't leak, just put it in, leave it alone, and take the lower radiator hose off to drain the fluid. A little bit messier, but it's just a lot less risky. Okay. It's just and one then, of the bonehead designs that Chrysler came up with. Yeah. If well, not, then, like I said, I have had to change radiators because of that. It breaks yeah, it breaks something yeah, it breaks something down inside the radiator and mm -hmm. you just can't ever stop it from leaking after that. Okay, well, then to get the lower radiator hose off, wouldn't you just... No big deal. Just, just a pop squeeze clamp. Yeah, squeeze clamp. Pop clamp off. Pop that clamp, pull it off. Now, the hose is probably going to be froze to the radiator neck a little bit. So uh -huh. you, may, you may have to work it back and yeah, forth a little bit, kind of twist gently. it once you get the clamp off, and it, it should come right on off. Once you loosen the clamp, it still doesn't want to come off. Right. Don't yank on it or pull on it. Just, just kind of twist turn it. Turn it side to side a little bit, and it'll break where it's stuck. That rubber kind of sticks to the plastic, and it, once it breaks loose, then it'll come on off. And it should come off. Yes, okay. Sir. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's gonna it's gonna make a tremendous mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially, especially if it runs if it's sitting over a cross member, you'll have it coming out the other side of the vehicle. Yeah, so, so you just gotta be ready for get it. Get you a big drain pan or something put or, under uh, there. Several drain pans. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And one other question. Y'all do the checking of the air conditioners and the yes. freon yes, and all that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. We thought you did. We just wanted to make sure. Yes, ma'am. Okay. All well, right. Thank all your help this morning. Thank you, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lou. Uh -huh. Okay. Bye-bye. And we got John online. Good morning, John. Hello. Yes, I've got a question. I've got a, I've got a 2000 Silverado. Okay. And I've got electrical issues. Okay. And Eric, there's more than one, and I'll give them all to you because they all might be related. Okay, sure. The first one is that when I turn the key on, mm -hmm. the headlights and the parking lights come on all the time and no DRLs at all. Okay. The second issue is that my dome light mm -hmm. and the map lights... Don't come on. Okay. At all. Okay. Regardless. The third issue <laughs> is on my dash, uh -huh. the cargo light, well, when you turn your cargo light on, uh -huh. you get the little illumination. Yes. The cargo light is on. Mm -hmm. That light is on, but the cargo light. light's not? The, right. The light, and it doesn't matter if you, you know, jog the button in and out. Right. Okay. John, what it sounds like to me, you've got an open circuit probably in one of the grounds somewhere, and what it's doing is backing up through that cargo light circuit, that's why it's illuminating that light because the current's actually flowing backwards through it trying to find a ground. And it's okay. probably achieving a ground, and that's why the headlights are staying on all the time. So do you think the cargo and the headlights and all that are all tied I think together? it's probably one problem. Okay. Very likely. Did it all sort of occur at the same time? Did you notice it about the same time? Well, I, I just bought the truck. Okay. okay. I, just, I just bought the truck. I tell you, the first place to start looking, John, is uh -huh. if there's any type of an aftermarket accessory in the truck, like an aftermarket uh -huh. radio or, oh, geez, any... Yeah, uh, GPS like or anything like that, or if it's yeah. ever had anything like that in it, you might look on a dash, see if you've seen like any of those little scotch locks that they use yeah, to yeah, put yeah. accessories in. Because right. oftentimes folks will have something like in a vehicle, and then when they sell it, they want to keep it for the next vehicle. They'll take them out, and they may inadvertently leave a ground wire off somewhere. Now, right. what happens is that electricity is flowing out, and it's looking for a ground. Now, right. if the ground wire is not on or if it's broken or cut, it just starts backing up through other circuits because it's going to find a ground. It's going to find a path to ground. Right. 
And that's what causes these sorts of problems. It sounds to me that it's backing up, finding a ground in the cargo light circuit. So what I would want to do, you gave a great description. Uh, Wherever you get it fixed, what you want to do is put all that in writing so that the tech can see exactly what it is that he's looking for. Now, the way a tech would go about finding that is he would first pull a wiring diagram, see what circuit or circuits all those things have in common. And then yeah. start tracing the grounds on them. The reason being, you got a half mile wire underneath that uh, dash right. of that truck, and right. you can spend an inordinate amount of time looking. So you got to have somewhere to start, and that gives you a real good starting point. Well, I know that I went to the fuse box mm-hmm. and I found the fuse for okay. the interior lamps. Okay, all right. It's a ten amp fuse. Yes, sir. And I pulled it, and it looked good, but I went ahead and replaced it. Yeah, okay. well, it can't be a fuse. It cannot be a fuse because a fuse can only cut power. It can't create. See, this is going to be a, on the ground side of the circuit. Uh, not the power side. You've okay. got power or lights wouldn't be coming on. That's true. Now, yeah. see, it's a ground, a transient ground that's backing up through the circuit somewhere. Now, it could be something as simple as the headlight switch itself. It the could switch. be yeah. something in the wiring somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, again, what I think it's going to probably be way out of the range of you being able to find it unless you're awfully mechanically inclined well, I'm mechanically inclined, but I'm electrically ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like and, that. And those those two are starting to merge more and more these days. But I would probably get it to a good electrical shop, mechanical shop that does electrical work, somebody who specializes in that. Right. We do a lot of that kind of work. We could generally find a problem like that in probably about an hour or so, okay. possibly a little longer if it's really hidden. But that's right, the way ask- you would have to go about finding it. Okay, one other question. Oh, sure. The radio, mm-hmm. the radio works. Mm-hmm. But at night, there's no lights in the radio at all. Yeah, and okay. again, may all be yeah. may all be related. So you, oh, okay. Again, what you want to do is give the guy working on the car as much information as you can, yeah. right. because the more pieces of information, the more circuits he can see that tie together, it's going to put him close to the source. So he's going to spend a lot less time, which is less money for you. And getting it all in writing, yeah, eliminates the problem of getting the complaints transferred to the tech right or you yeah, tell yeah. a service yeah. writer yeah, you lose and, they translation. Try to tell and something doesn't get transferred so if you put it in right. writing yeah. that way he can read exactly your words you are sure that you're getting the message over to him and he can also review that you yeah. tell him he's gonna try to remember but he may forget some important sure. details sure. but if sure. it's written down he can go back he can read it over and over and over again as many times as he needs to until it registers in his mind that's going to make it a lot faster and, and easier for him to fix the car and cheaper for you all right guys okay Thank you much. Take You're care. welcome. Bye-bye. We've got Ronnie's been patiently holding. Good morning, Ronnie. Hey, how y'all doing? Doing great, Good sir. morning. I'm changing the air conditioning compressor on a 97 GMC Sierra. Uh-huh. And how much oil should I put in that compressor before I install it? How much oil was in the old one? Um, I hadn't took it out and drained it out of it. Yeah, that's what you want to do is drain the old one and put back whatever's in there. Because if you put too much oil in it, it's going to displace the refrigerant that goes in it and it's going to make the system not cool as well or cause it to be overcharged you can even end up locking up your compressor if you put too much oil it's very Correct. difficult to determine because a lot of times if you had a leak somewhere you can leak some of the oil out and there's just hardly any way to what we have to do in some cases break the whole system down get all the oil out and then put the right amount back in but that's right, pretty I was looking involved. with different websites to try to find out mm-hmm. exactly how much all that compressor takes, but I wasn't able to find it, you know? Right. It's generally going to be between four and eight ounces, depending on what kind of compressor it's got, because they use three different compressors. Right. It's, it's a Delco one with like six little pistons in it. Yeah, but you have two of them made by Delphi and then one made by Sandon. Generally, they're between four and six ounces, but you can't go by that because, see, that all circulates throughout the system. It doesn't just stay in that compressor. 
Right. So let's say there was eight ounces in there, but it's in the accumulator right now because that's where it ended up when you took it off. Well, if you right. go dump another eight ounces, now you got too much oil in it. So the right. best well, thing is drain out what's in there, measure that, and put that amount back in. Okay, I, I changed the accumulator to office tube. Uh, blew through the system really good with a plush. Mm -hmm. I'm putting it all back together, you know, and want to put some pressure sure. in. What you want to do is empty each one of the components into a cup and see how much oil was in there. That's that's the absolute best way. If you can't do that, the next best thing to do is to get every bit of oil completely out the entire system and then find how much the system takes and puts that amount back in there. Okay, I appreciate it, man. All right, and if you send me an email, I can give you the exact amounts that, that the whole system and each component takes. I appreciate it, man. Okay, man, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, one more quick little break. Marvin and Gregory, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. Phew, I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, All right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh... All wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? And we're going back to live. Scott Marvin's been patiently holding. Good morning, Marvin. Yes, good morning. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Doing great. Okay, I have a question. I have a 2,000-mile Chevrolet Malibu okay. I purchased about a year and a half ago with 88,000 miles. Okay. Right now, I have 95000 on it, and I drive it occasionally. The problem I'm having is when it sets up, put it in drive, you know, give it a takeoff. Yes, sir. It surges. It jerks. Now, I don't know whether the transmission fluid ever been changed, and yep. I'm trying to find out when should this fluid have been changed. Well, it ought to I be like around changing. on its third trial by now. Yeah, I like changing about 30,000 miles oh. to prevent problems. So you'd be about three times past due. <laughs> Uh, it feels like a transmission problem, Marvin, like the whole car surging. It's not like an engine miss problem or anything. No, it's not an engine miss. It's yes. sort of jerks. And yeah, well, i tell you what. I would definitely start out by servicing the unit. Reason being, it's way past due. It right. may help. It may be too late. But once you drop the pan to replace the filter, you can look inside. Now, when I drop the pan, I look in there, and there's a handful of metal in the bottom of the pan. Hey, we know. Right. You, you can put the pan back on and go sell it, or you can fix it, whatever you want to do. But if we drop the pan, it's relatively clean. We can change the fluid, change the filter, retorque the valve body bolts. Sometimes the new fluid does have conditioner in it. It can soften up an old seal and can help with that kind of a problem. But it's not a silver bullet. In other words, if you got something wrong in the transmission, it's not going to fix it. Too little, too late. It could have prevented it, possibly. Right. But <laughs> it's certainly a good place to start. That or what might even be a better place to start 
would be to bring it to the shop, leave it with them overnight where they've got it first thing in the morning, let them drive it in the morning and experience what you're experiencing. Then they can do a pressure test and tell you whether it's internal or external to the transmission. Okay. But again, you're kind of paying for diagnosis that when you do a transmission service, you're putting the money towards a service and you're kind of getting a lot of the same information. Right. So you can go either way, but I would feel more comfortable if I were going to service that car to have you drop it off the night before so I can just feel it. Okay. If I drive it and I know right off the bat that it's too severe for a service to help, I'm going to tell you that and we ain't going to go to that trouble. That, that's good. All righty. All right. I'll make an appointment and get it in next week. Okay, Ms. Marvin. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we got Gregory on the line. Good morning, Gregory. Uh, good morning, Mr. Alderson and Mr. Terry. Yes, Thank sir. you. Good morning. Okay, 95 Lincoln Town Court. Mm-hmm. Okay, I had my headlight at one hour, so I went on and I, I changed that. Okay. So coming back from, that was in the daytime, so coming back from New Orleans uh, to Baton Rouge at nighttime, I stopped, and I happened to notice that my side marker, that little red bulb, wasn't on, but okay. on the passenger side, it was on. Okay. And so I looked in the book, and, and I looked at the fuses and everything, and I went underneath inside, and I, I checked the fuses out, and everything seemed to be cool with that. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I, they, don't, they don't tell you how to get to that side mark, that little red bulb on the light. Like, yeah, I think you have something? to get to that from underneath the car, Gregory. It's best if you have a lift or something, you can jack the car up, going, and on the back side of that little thing under the fender, there's normally a little socket that you got to turn about a quarter turn, and then it comes out and the bubble will be in there. This is the kind I'm thinking of. Oh, just jack it up. Yeah, so you got to kind of go from underneath is, is the easiest way. I believe there's a shield in the way you have it to take off. might be a off. plastic shield, something you have to take off to get yeah. to it. They don't make it real easy. Okay. Do it myself take it to uh, somewhere? Well, either way, I mean, if you're pretty handy, which it sounds like you are, you could probably yeah. do it yourself. Okay. If it's too, if, you, if it's just too difficult, I mean, it's not going to cost a whole lot to have a shop change it. You're probably talking less than 20 bucks to have the shop do it if you can't do it yourself. I well, I'll do it. Just, uh, just go on and jack it up. Uh, yeah, try going can... from underneath. And just, you'll see some wires going to it. You know, you can okay. see where it's at on the outside. Just look on the inside and see if you see the wires there and just grab a socket and turn it and it usually comes out. Okay, then. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I got a 91 Chevy Blazer okay. with a 4.3. Yes, sir. P6. Mm-hmm. It recently sat up a little while, and uh-huh. I went to crank it. It was running fine before, but it didn't crank. Okay. So I checked a few things, and I couldn't get it to crank. I brought it to a shop, uh-huh. and they told me it needed a distributor. I'm trying to figure out why we need a whole distributor because, I mean, it's got a cap, a rotor, and, and a module. In well, there, yeah, so. those are real, real bad about the cam sensor portion or the magnet on the shaft breaking. And it's more expensive to tear it down and change that than to probably put a distributor is what I'm thinking they're, they're if, figuring. If it's the one I'm thinking of, it has a plastic housing right. that, that wears out. That too. And it gets sloppy in there. So by changing the whole distributor, you get... The new pickup, you get the new magnet, you get the new distri- housing, bushes, the housings shaft. and everything. The shaft is tight in. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't think it would cost a whole lot more because the labor is going to be the same. Out. You'd have to take it out and change those other parts. Right. So sometimes it pays to just spend a few dollars more and get a whole assembly, particularly if you're talking about a high-mileage vehicle. 
and again, I'm kind of guessing that would be the reason they would recommend. Okay, I was just wondering if maybe if they were just going to like change the module and the cap and stuff, and not actually replace the whole distributor. Well, you might ask them that and see because uh, it depends on what the problem is. I mean, if the problem is the cap, well, yeah, change the cap. But if the problem is that shaft, or the problem is that sensor down inside of there, or the magnet on the shaft, which is pretty common then you're way better off changing yeah. the whole unit. We've changed several of them. Yeah, we that changed year those model, quite a bit. Chevrolet 4.3. Mm-hmm. Okay. For that pretty, problem. Pretty common so failure. good, you know, so. Yeah, pretty common failure item on those. All right. Thank you, guys. Okay, Mike. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. And we got Bruce on the line. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. How you doing? I'm good doing morning, great, Mr. Bruce. Calling about the General Motors uh, pickup V8. Uh-huh. We were talking about yes, earlier with yes, crack heads or yes, whatever. Mm-hmm. Does anybody else make a replacement head for that thing? No, sir. The head that replaces it is supposedly a fix for the problem. I did a little bit of research on it, and it was a company called Castech that made the original heads for them. So I Googled Castech, and it came up a Mexican company that's owned by a Chinese company. <laughs> 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 if you can believe that. And so, French, that's what we call the Raccoucidle Plug Me Across. There you go. You know, <laughs> when you go and buy a new vehicle these days, everybody's, oh, man, I don't buy a new car, so I won't have any problems. They just ain't got a clue. Man, these, these cars nowadays got the cheapest, junkiest, trashiest parts. We are seeing more problems with the new vehicles than we ever saw with the old stuff. Yeah, I've heard you say that before. I mean, I tell people, if you got a 2005 or older vehicle, keep it running as long as you can. Because you are not going to be very happy with the new stuff. And that's just my opinion, but boy, they're making me a rich man. <laughs> you know? yeah, that, and General Motors still won't own up to it. No, no, no. They'll tell you, hey, there's a bulletin out for that problem, and they'll tell you which one. They'll show you the casting mark and all that, and this is a replacement head. Have a nice day. Yeah. Is there any, uh, like in the VIN number, particular number that shows you the number that's no. susceptible well, to Well, it's, it's the 4.8s and the 5.3s. Anything from 2000. Just any of them. 2001 to 2006, any 4.8 or 5.3. To 2006, you said? Yes, sir. Yeah. Up to well, 06. A, that includes yours. <laughs> uh, I've, well, I've got an 07. Well, 07, they were supposedly now, to fix the problem. If it's a classic body, it's the same truck as the 06. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's the classic. It's yeah. possible it, you have some run over. It's possible. Just labeled 07. If you, if you go on my website, there's pictures of the casting mark. Now, you have to take the valve cover off to see the casting mark, but it's pretty simple. And it's not every single head, because some of them will have that head that came out of that factory, it isn't the right thing, and it just doesn't crack. They just well, made that one right. I'll just hope and pray I don't have one. That's, you know, That's what it. I tell people, Mr. Bruce, is just watch that coolant level. The coolant in a Chevy truck is a sealed system. It's not ever going to have to have coolant added. If you're losing coolant, you got a problem. Don't just say, well, I'm just adding a little bit. If that level's going down, there's a problem. And if you can't find a leak on the outside, chances are it's on the inside. Yeah, because I had a 98 that the coolant would go down. Of course, it was an uh, intake gasket. Yes, right. That's they were pretty common. Mm-hmm. Very, very uh, common on the OR bodies. All right. Well, thanks for the info. Okay, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, what was your dream? 
I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at ATCO and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at ATCO Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersam, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? We've still got plenty of time left to be able to answer any questions you might have, just in case something occurs to you during the week. That's right. You can always visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O, Altazan's Garage Company. That'll get you to the site. There's plenty of things there on the site you can search. Three databases, a contact bar. You can send Lewis an email. Oh, there's tons well, of things yeah. on there, man. There's <laughs> a little fun section that a lot of people like. And you can go ahead and take a test, win a free Agco t-shirt. We'll ship that to you anywhere in the United States. So all right. we get people from all over the country that take that little test. think it's kind of fun. Another couple of little tests and quizzes that are in there. There's one so you want to be an auto tech, and it just gives you some scenarios and some possible solutions, and you can kind of test your mechanical ability. Yeah. One on identifying different automotive parts. You'd be surprised. <laughs> it, might, it might throw you for a loop. So those are some things. That's under the fun section. Of course, it's a newsletter. It goes out every quarter, and one just went out on the first of this month. That's a real, real nice feature. If you go in and you register, it doesn't cost anything, but you give us your email address. Every calendar quarter on the first of the month, you're going to get our newsletter, and that's pretty much the only way to get it. Unless you come by the shop and request Pick one, one up. I'll, I'll give you one. But that way it comes straight to your inbox. And there's an unsubscribe button at the bottom. You ever get tired of getting, you just push that and boop, mm. they'll quit coming. It's, that's great. Yeah, and you never, ever get any kind of spam from us. It's just we're not going to send you a bunch of unsolicited stuff. I get those unsolicited emails all the time. That just really Oh, me. I know it. I mean, that's one way to make sure I don't ever do business with your company <laughs> again to send me a bunch of junk. So that's one thing we just absolutely do not do. We don't really collect or keep your email address. We just, like when you send us a question we're going to answer your question that's the last you're going to hear from us that's right we're not going to store your email address or sell your email address or anything i really your life's got way too many aggravations in already without me have something to, else yeah out there trying to add to them so <laughs> there's there's calculators on right, this, what there's what i'm saying three separate calculators one will allow you to compare the amount of money you'll save with different gas mileage cars for instance if you've got a car that gets 15 miles to gallon and you're going to a car that gets 25 miles to gallon how much money will you really save? That's right. And the car sales surprised. is going to tell you all kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, anything to sell a car. That's right. But go in. You can punch in the amount per gallon, the amount of miles you drive, the highway and city mix, and it will tell you, put both cars in, it will tell you the exact dollar amount you're going to save driving that new car. Mm-hmm. And there's also a calculator where you compare keeping your old car to buying a new car. That's a real good one. Yeah, it takes a lot of factors into account that the average person doesn't think of. I had a gentleman come in the shop just earlier this week, and he had, a, I think it was a loaded-up Suburban with 100,000 miles. And he was asking what it would cost to get another 100,000 miles out of it. I said, well, it just depends on how well it's been taken care of for the first 100, but anywhere maybe as high as $6,000 to get another 100,000 miles out of it. He said, wow, it's a lot of money. I said, well, let's think about it. You spent $35,000 for it new. It's okay. worth 5000 right now. So it costs you $30,000 to get the first 100,000 miles. That's right. That's what you spent. 
Now, for 6000 you can get another 100000 Which one's a better deal? He said, well, I never thought about that way. <laughs> you know? I mean, on a Chevy truck, you probably go end up putting a transmission in it. You oh, yeah. do a little air conditioning work. You can do a few other repairs on it. Not only that, but on the older vehicle, you don't have to carry full coverage insurance. You can carry just liability on it, which is going to save you a bunch of money. That's right. Once it's paid for. That's right. So it's just a huge, huge, huge saving. And all you have to do is look around on the road next time you pull up at a stoplight. Look at the cars around you and see how many older cars you see on the road. That's right. And there's a reason for that. The average person is pretty smart, especially when it comes to his money. Yeah. They're just not buying this big scam. And there's a reason why they spend trillions of dollars trying to tell you that a new car is what you got to have. It's just not always in your best interest. And frankly, the way they're building cars today. Uh, I tell you what, I'd be real leery of oh, buying a new one right geez, now. man. I'm hoping this law, you know, I say, I, I told Lance, hey, just wake me up when this is over. <laughs> I'm hoping this law will work its way out and maybe right. maybe somebody will start building a decent car again. But, man, they are building some of the worst cars I have seen in 40, 40 years of working on cars. And it's all across the board. It's not just one manufacturer. Right. Toyota and Honda are still doing a fairly good job. Of course, Lexus and Acker are doing a fairly good job. Other than that, in my opinion, man, I wouldn't even consider any of the others. Oh, I'm telling you. And not European, not Japanese, not American for for God's sake. Well, what is an American car nowadays? Well, you know, it's got truth. an American name on it. That's that's a, that's it. Isn't that the truth? We just seeing major issues. Dodge truck in the shop here earlier this week, fairly new front differential, just in pieces on mm-hmm. it. Yeah, you know, you're talking twenty two hundred dollars worth of repair work, and you look at it, and what they did is they took a rear end housing and flipped it over and put it on the front. Well, that, okay. was, that was real bright. Yeah. Because now the pinion gear is way up out of the oil, so it doesn't get any oil. That's right. So it makes it's, it, it's relying on the, thru- yeah. the throw of the oil off the ring gear. But since it's on the front now, the ring gear is spinning the other way. It's <laughs> slinging all the way from the gear. <laughs> Somebody was thinking, wasn't well, it? Well, you know, some engineers said, hey, hold my beer and watch this. Yeah, there you go. You know, watch what I can do. <laughs> and the gentleman was a very nice fella. He was saying, well, man, what? You know, I said, well, it's really not anything. It's, it's the way it's designed. Right. And you can look at it. You know, this pinion gear, pinion bearing is up four inches above the oil level. It's just not going to get a whole lot of oil, and you add to that fact it's full-time four-wheel drive, so it's so turning, turning all, all the time. the time. They might get by with that on a part-time four-wheel drive because it's not turning all the time, but you just Maybe. see stuff like that every, 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 every day, and you add to that fact of stuff like the tire pressure monitoring systems where they put these little $200 piece sensors inside your tires. There's four of them. There's four, or four of them. Or five. Or five. Depending on the system you got. And like I said... In eight, nine, ten years, the batteries start going dead in them. Well, light pops on your dash. Well, it's a thousand bucks change all these little sensors that nobody wanted in the first place, but the government told them they had to put them in there. Yeah, they're trying to save us from ourselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, about half of them to come in, the light's on, the guy's ignoring it because he ain't going to spend the money to fix it. So it's doing absolutely no good. That's it. I was reading the other day, they said that in 2012, they got to put stabilization system on all yes. vehicles. Yes. Which has been on a lot of cars. It does absolutely no good. It costs a fortune to fix it when it breaks. So. That- <laughs> like I said, they're trying to save us from ourselves. Yeah, just, you know, just, how long do we drive cars without all that Oh, car? geez, a uh, long, long time. So <laughs> just think long and hard before you make a big, big, big mistake. Yeah, it, especially with a new car, like Lewis was saying, all these new gadgets and all this new stuff on them, when it breaks, it's going to be extremely expensive oh, yeah. to repair. Yeah, I saw a commercial today for that link. It says, man, this car can park itself. Yeah. Okay, that's great, but it's three grand when it breaks. <laughs> how often do you parallel park a car? Not very often I can't anymore. I remember the last time I did. Not very often. <laughs> and didn't have much trouble when I did. So That's it. You got a feature there that you're probably not ever going to use. Yep. But and it's real cool to talk about when you buy the car, but three to five grand to fix it when it breaks. And there you go. And you know, you it, can't steer the car because it's broken. Right, <laughs> right. And it's it's probably tied into the electrical system oh, and, sure. and everything. And when it breaks, the car's down. That's right. So And it won't. you can't just forget about it. Right. So 
you just need to really, really, really think long and hard. And there's also a nice section on the website on buying new and used cars that'll give you a checklist of things to look at when you buy a used car and also several things to consider when you buy a new car. That's right. So, anyway, we've squandered another perfectly good hour. <laughs> how about that, huh? That's it. Got a lot of good questions answered. That's it. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. And we'd like to also thank our podcasters that That's listen. Right. All over the world. All over the world. That's right. Thank all of you guys. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.